Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. Tonight, uh, there is a role reversal that has happened. Uh, Jordan has been our intern here for over two, two years now, I think. And um, you don't always realize everything that Jordan does. Um, but Jordan sets up tag. He does our social media. Um, all, the, all the things that, he, that, that you see usually refuel, he does. So to not, today we switched places. It's like a Freaky Friday on a Wednesday. <laughs> and I did all the tag stuff and prepared that. And he's going to do the lesson from Ruth chapter 2. Um, so make sure to give a refuel welcome to our special speaker tonight. Jordan Musgrave. Yes. Hello. What's up, everyone? I walked up here and everyone's like, who is this guy? So um, I'm just a less bearded, less good looking Matt. Um, so, um, you know, our Ruthless series, uh, last week we covered Ruth 1, which was ruthless, uh, ruthless pain, relentless promises, and this week is Ruthless Culture, Relentless Kindness, and uh, in TAG, we went over uh, the, uh, like, a weird rule that maybe your family has, or, like, weird laws that your, like, the states that you're from have, like, we're from, we're in West Virginia, and some of you are from Ohio, or some from Kentucky, but uh, I have a list of laws that are West Virginia laws. I heard some of them mentioned in our TAG, so I don't know if you all mentioned them, too. West Virginia laws. The first one is, um, Whistling underwater is prohibited in West Virginia, so I don't know how that could even be, like, become a rule. Like, how do you, how does someone just whistle underwater and then someone says that it's, that it's illegal to do that all of a sudden? So, um, and also behind, like, every rule, it's like someone has to have done it for it to be illegal or, like, it to be made a rule. Um, I went to, I did that at Grace, so there's a rule from, from me at Grace that they, Grace Christian, they put a rule in the rule book because I had, like, a weird haircut or something. And, um... So there's whistling underwater is the first one that I found. Uh, the next one, it's illegal to sleep on a train. Uh, the next one is, I did this one for Kurt, Kurt McCabe. <laughs> um, in Huntington, firemen may not whistle or flirt at any women passing a firehouse. <laughs> Which that's why he's in Milton, because he wasn't allowed in Huntington, because they, they knew, they were like, man, this guy, he's going to whistle and flirt with every woman that walks past the fire station. So he's up in Milton. Yeah. <laughs> the, next, the next one, this one may apply to you or your siblings. No children may attend school with their breath smelling of wild onions. So <laughs> if you don't want to go to school, take a bite out of an onion and go to school. <laughs> the next one, roadkill may be taken home for, for supper, for dinner. So, I mean, that's one's very West Virginia, right? Taking home a roadkill for dinner. Um, you see a raccoon or something? Would you, any of you eat a raccoon if you saw a dead raccoon? Or you got offered a raccoon? Or a squirrel? I mean, you see dead squirrels, you could take a dead squirrel home. Um, and then the last one, everyone probably knows this one, the last West Virginia law. It's legal to beat your wife as long as it's done in public on Sunday at the courthouse on the steps. <laughs> who, who knew about that one? That one's very popular. Yeah, that, yeah that's really popular. Um, so yeah, those are weird laws, and they, they, they seem weird, and they're like weird... Uh, um, kind of like cultural creations that people have somewhere somehow decided that, they, that they're necessary. We don't know why they're necessary. But this kind of reminds us that sometimes weird things are unfair and culture is weird and it's unfair and things go wrong and things happen that we, we don't really know about. And this is where kind of our lesson kind of takes place 
uh, tonight, and it kind of centers around things going wrong and things seeming unfair, but God's kindness is, um, is overflowing, and it's, it's always there to comfort us. So culture is sometimes strange and unfair, and life throws unfair things at us, and we don't know how to respond, or how do we respond when things don't go our way. So I have a list of things, what things can go wrong or be unfair in life. And the first one that comes to my mind is something that I really have a problem with, is when plans fall through, and because see, I'll be working, I'll be getting ready to do something all day, and I'll be looking forward to this thing happening. And it's like, oh, an hour or 30 minutes before, my buddy calls me, he's like, hey, this, I'm talking about Wyatt, at Wyatt. <laughs> Not all the time, he's pretty good. He's like, hey, can't, gotta cancel, gotta do something, gotta go to work, working overtime, whatever. He's always working overtime. But when plans fall through, I get really upset and I get really mad because I focus my whole day on, on plans and, and things, looking forward to something. Another one, uh, people might make fun of us. We're not, we don't look like somebody. We, oh, I wish I could look like her or I wish I could be athletic like him or I wish I had all these friends that these people have or something's wrong with me. I got a zit on my face. So put makeup on my face and it makes the zit look worse sometimes. And then uh, people make fun of us and then we get insecure about stuff like that. The next one, things or events uh, get canceled, which is D-Now. D-Now was not only canceled one time, but twice in a row and because of the winter apocalypse. And uh, also, we know sports were canceled, even though sports are, has started back up, I see, just kind of slowly. Uh, concerts, church was canceled. We couldn't come to church. We were online for a few months there during COVID. And COVID caused all these things to be canceled, and we're sitting here like, like what went wrong? What happened? Like, like how does this, this is so unfair. Like, how could, this, how could this happen? And we can't do anything about it either. Another one, relationships end. People, your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you. It's unexpected. You don't, maybe it is expected, maybe it's unexpected. But relationships end, a friend leaves, a friend moves away. Something goes wrong in your family. Your parents get divorced. Maybe your parents weren't even together to begin with. Something goes wrong. Relationships end. Things are broken. And things seem so unfair. And the last one on my list is mental health, anxiety, depression, insecurity. We're so depressed. We are like, why, man, why, why am I so sad all the time? Like, why am I so sad about this? Or why can't I be happy? Why can't... I have this life that this other person has that I see on Instagram, that I see people posting up, living it up, and I have anxiety, or I'm so afraid and I'm so anxious to get, get stuff done, or I'm so afraid of what could happen, and, and you have the fear of the unknown in you, and you're so anxious, you're anxious about school, you're anxious about COVID, because it's so, at first it was so hopeless, we, we couldn't see an end to all of it. You're insecure, like I said earlier, you're you're looking at people and you're, and you're saying, man, I wish I could be him or I wish I could be her or something about me isn't right. Or, I go to the gym every day and I'm not getting skinny or I'm not getting big. And, and we, we get insecure in these insecurities. And, and how do we respond to some of this stuff is, is we're not happy about this. We're not happy about this stuff. We don't go, oh, yes, our plans got canceled. Yes, I'm so excited to not hang out with my friends today. Or people make fun of us, like, thanks, man. Thanks for, thanks for pointing out that big flaw in me. <laughs> and 
where the things and events get canceled. Thank, yes, I'm so glad Dean Howe was canceled. Like, no one's saying that. No one's, no one's rejoicing. We're not rejoicing that our girlfriend broke up with us. We're not happy that our boyfriend broke up with us. We're not so happy that people make fun of us. We're not happy that we have depression. We're not happy that we're anxious. We're not happy that we're insecure. And how do we usually respond? We don't respond like that. We respond by getting a bad attitude. We get unhappy about things. We bargain and reason like, oh, maybe it's because of this or maybe it's because of that. We don't take ownership or responsibility of some things that may even be our fault. Some things that go wrong. I mean, some things do go wrong that, that happen that aren't our fault. But some things can be products of things that we have done. And we need to take ownership and responsibility for some things. And we can turn things around like that. And uh, next, we blame other people. That kind of ties like that. We say, well, it's not our fault. It's their fault. He said this, so that's why I punched him in the mouth. He said, that, he said that because it made me react this way. Or another thing, we shut down. We lock ourselves in our room. We get, crawl into bed. We turn our heated blanket on. We sit there and we cry or we, we, uh, we get on Instagram and we compare ourselves to others and make things worse while you're locked away in your room. And it, we shut down and we shut the world out. We, we keep all these bad things out of, our, out, of, out of view or even put things into view that is making our mental state even worse and things that we're questioning that are going wrong that are unfair. And we sit here and think because these are such human things and the things of, of the world are just all around us and they're weighing us down and we think to ourselves, what is God's part in this? How does he respond and what does he think? Like, how, do, how can God let some of this stuff happen? How can this stuff be so unfair? And how come I don't see God in any of this? That brings us to our bottom line tonight. When we're affected by a ruthless culture, we must embrace God's relentless kindness. So if you have your Bibles tonight, we'll be in Ruth chapter 2. We're kind of at the end of Ruth 1, 122 through all of chapter 2. And I'll give you a second and hope you don't hear me slurp out through the microphone. All right, cool. All right. So uh, a little background of Ruth chapter 1 from last week. Um, Naomi had a husband, Naomi, uh, they were from Bethlehem, they had a famine, they traveled to Moab, and because uh, Moab had food, and Bethlehem did not, so uh, while they traveled to Moab, Naomi's husband died, and she had her two sons, and her two sons married women from Moab, which is kind of like, Moab is like the opposite of Israel, so, so everything that Israel is not, it's like a bad place, and they had two, two sons who married two women, and then later, those two sons died. So Naomi has no, no husband and no sons. So they're dead. And it's just Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, uh, Orpah and Ruth. And the famine was over in Bethlehem. So they're going to travel back to Bethlehem where Naomi's from. And she tells, Naomi tells her daughters-in-law, stay in Moab with your families and, and just let, let me travel alone. And Orpah said, okay, sounds good. So she stays in Moab. But Ruth is like, heck no, I'm staying with you and I'm going to die with you. Your God is going to be my God. I'll just read it. It's a really beautiful dialogue right here. Um, It says, where you go, Ruth says to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I'll die. And there I'll be buried. So Ruth clings to Naomi. She says, I'm going to go where you go. And Right as they're returning, where there's food back in Bethlehem, the harvest is starting. So the harvest is like collecting grain, the food is back. And 
That's where we end up in Ruth chapter 122. So let's start reading. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest, barley harvest was beginning. Let's remember that. That's very important. And Ruth 2.1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Standing right there, that word standing means uh, wealthy or um, very important man. He's, he's wealthy and he's a man of good character. And we'll continue reading in verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. So right here we see Ruth saying, Let me go and work for you. Naomi is a widow and she's poor and she can't provide for herself because she doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have sons either. And Ruth is just like, I don't care. I'm going to go and work for you so I can provide for you. And she has to find favor in the eyes of somebody whose field that she can work in. And she's a foreigner too. This is so countercultural because she's, first of all, she's a foreigner. She's a woman and she's poor. So she has everything against her right now. And we continue on in uh, verse two still. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she gave her permission. Verse three, so she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. So we see the wording in verse 3 and verse 4. It says, as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who is from the clan of Elimelech. And then verse 4, just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. So the harvest is starting. They just so happened to arrive in Bethlehem as the harvest is starting. And as it turned out, Ruth went to work in a field that belonged to Boaz. And just as she's working in the field, Boaz just so happened to return to his field. So there's three different coincidences right in a row, right there. And I just want to reiterate something to you tonight is that nothing happens by accident in the economy of God. God is overseeing this. God knows that Naomi and Ruth are in need and they need provided for. And God is orchestrating this all right over their heads and they don't even know it right now. So we continue. Verse 5, Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? And the overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained there from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz returns to his field and he's like, who's that? He sees, Naomi, I mean, he sees Ruth and he's like, who's that? That means in the original Hebrew, check her out, bro. <laughs> Check her out. <laughs> he, Ruth catches his eye, and he is like, who is that? Who does she belong to? <laughs> and the guy replies, he's not very happy. He's like, the overseer replies, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab. She's a foreigner. She doesn't belong here. This guy's probably, because see, they're in Israel, and she's from Moab. She's foreign. He probably is not very happy that some foreign woman is working in the field. And Boaz is like, I don't care. I like her. So 
the first little sub point that I have, um, I want to make sure we understand this is that in the book of Ruth or in this chapter in the book, Boaz is kind of a representation of God and Ruth is kind of a representation of us as Christians. And we can see that because of how Boaz interacts with Ruth and we'll see that as we continue. And I have a little sub point. He seeks out outcasts as his family, which is Boaz. He's, he's seeking Ruth out and we can also see that God seeks us out as family. But we'll cover that at the, end of, uh, at the end of the chapter. So Boaz goes over and he talks to Ruth. He said, I'm going to talk to her. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after them. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? So we see another countercultural thing. Boaz, wealthy Israelite man, goes over and he talks to Ruth, a poor Moabite foreign woman. So see the complete opposites, man, woman in the culture. We see rich, poor. We see Israelite, native, Moabite, foreigner. So that's so countercultural in this context. And notice how he says uh, in verse 9, Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that are filled. In this culture, uh, it was common for women, especially for foreign women, to be abused or mistreated or even at the least like insulted while they were working in the field. So he's uh, completely just disregarding the culture because they were, women were abused and mistreated in this culture. And he's saying, I've told my men to not bother you at all. And then he also takes it a step further and says, uh, where is it? He also takes it a step further and says, whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Also in the culture, women, Israelite women, would fill the water jars for the men. And in this case, Boaz is saying, Ruth, go and drink from the water that the men have filled. Israelite men and a Moabite woman drinking from the jars that the men have filled. So that's counterculture part two. And Ruth responds by bowing. That word for bow is worship. So she's basically worship. She's acting as if she's worshiping. And she's so grateful that Boaz has, has been so kind to her. And she says, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And we see that that, that Ruth, Ruth is so grateful here. And Boaz, he responds to her in verse 12. He says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And it's so rich with Im imagery that he's saying, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You are under the refuge. She's not only under the refuge of God, which she has no idea about. She just thinks this is all coincidence. This is all just happening. And she's also under the refuge and protection of Boaz because, you know, he promised her protection. He promised to, to, um, to protect her. And we continue on. And she's, Ruth is put at ease. And she says, um, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord? She says, you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. She, he's speaking to her as one of his own servants and she says this to him, and he doesn't even have a response. It makes me just feel like he's, he's not even trying to get like, praise from her. He's just saying, yeah, 
I mean, this is just normal. He's just doing this for her because he, he's seeking her out and, and he's caring for her. And it, we continue in verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz says to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. He, she ate all she wanted and had some left over. She got up to glean. Boaz gave orders to his men. Again, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and amounted to about an ephah, which is like 30, or 50, 30 to 50 pounds is what people, people say that, that scale of measurement is. And 18, she carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had carried. carried. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. So verse 14, Boaz invites her to dinner with him or mealtime. And this isn't just a casual dinner that she's, this isn't just a casual meal. Boaz invited her to his table. Like that's, that's, a, that's an intimate setting and that is, that is a very important setting right here. And, oh, I lost my place. Uh, it's not just a meal. Um, it's fellowship at a ta- table and offered, the word offered right there means serve. So we think of offers just like, here, have something. But no, this means serve. Boaz is serving this to her. And it's, it's just, it, it blows your mind. If we're readers in its original context, if we're actually from this time period, we are, our jaws are like on the ground. Like, why is this happening? Like, how is, why is he interacting with this woman? And verses 15 and 16, um, he's telling his men to let her gather and then also give her more. Drop, leave some behind. Pull out some stalks from her of the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. And Boaz is providing for Ruth more than she needed. She just needed to work somewhere, but he's given her more than she needed. And in that time, men, during like a day's work, we saw that that word, ephah, was 30 to 50 pounds. In a day's work, men that would work in the field, they would gather about one to two pounds a day. And in one day, she gathered 30 to 50 pounds. And also, we see that Ruth has been hitting the Israeli deadlifts and Israeli squat racks, and she carried it back to town. So Ruth, Ruth ain't messing around. She's, she's tough, and she's going against the culture. She said, I don't care that I'm a woman, and I don't care that I'm poor, and I don't care that I'm foreign. And she's carrying this 30 or 50-something pounds back to Naomi so she can provide for her mother-in-law who has nothing. And... Let's continue on in verse 19. Her mother-in-law asked, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. The buildup of this story. They have no idea what's going on. Naomi doesn't know where Ruth has been. Ruth don't know where she's been. And then she builds up and she, she's just like, look at all this stuff, Naomi. And Naomi is like, where'd you go? And she says, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. And Naomi responds, the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, stay with my workers until they finished harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz and gleaned until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. 
So we're talking about relentless culture, ruthless kindness, which that word kindness is in verse 20. So look at verse 20 and circle kindness if you're a circler or a writer. And that kindness word is going to be very important to us. It's the Hebrew word hesed, or if you want to get technical, it's chesed. And that word appears three times in Ruth, Ruth 1.8. So Ruth 1.8 says, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. So the Lord showed kindness, that word right there. And then it's right here in verse 220, which is, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Talking about Boaz. And it's also in Ruth 3.10. And it's talking about Ruth this time. The Lord bless you, my daughter. He replied, this kindness is greater, which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, which are either poor. So we have the Lord showing kindness. Now we have Boaz showing kindness. And then the next chapter, we'll get into that next week. Ruth shows kindness. And... The definition of this word comes from a big old book. It's about this big, the Theological Dictionary of the Old Testament. And I have some bullet points of how it's defined. So it always designates not just the human attitude, but also the act that emerges from the attitude. So action coming from the attitude. It's an act that preserves or promotes life. It's an intervention on behalf of someone suffering misfortune or distress. It's a demonstration of friendship. It pursues what is good and not what is evil. And it can also alternatively be translated as mercy, kindness, loving kindness, goodness, kindly, merciful, favor, good, goodness. You get the idea, right? So from these definitions, we see that kindness is an action. It's interpersonal. So between people or multiple people, interpersonal, and it is enduring. So the action is kindness is shown to others in times of need. That's to your friends when they need Uh, help or they need you to do something for them or you just want to do something for them out of the kindness of your heart or even to a stranger you see someone in help in need of help you show kindness to them it's an action it comes from that attitude as it was first defined it always it designates a human attitude but the act that comes from the attitude interpersonal it's shown to friends and family so like husband and wife father and children uh, host and guests or relatives and friends. So it's interpersonal. It's in between those uh, personal relationships. And it's also enduring. So kindness endures forever, forever between family members and those who have been shown kindness. And kindness is essential to keep a relationship going because the kindness lets the relationship uh, grow and flourish and, and it continues. So it's enduring. So this, this word of kindness, this hesed is on full display in chapter two of Ruth. And I think this is a perfect example, like we said, that that Boaz is a representation of of God and Ruth of us. So first point, if you're writing, uh, taking notes, um, God shows us kindness through these chance events. And this, in this chapter, uh, this kindness triumphs over two ruthless cultural realities, which is financial and physical abuse and also insecurities. So financial and physical abuse. Financial was, Ruth was in danger. And physical was, um, I mean, physical was Ruth was in danger. Financial was Ruth and Naomi were poor. So they needed uh, help in that. And insecurities, Ruth was a woman, first of all. She was a foreigner and she was a, uh, a, a woman. And she was poor. So God shows kindness through chance events. And... Um, the coincidences we saw were the barley harvest, 
So it was time for the harvest, and Ruth just happened to arrive in Boaz's field. Verse 3, Boaz just happened to come back to Bethlehem, and Ruth just happened to be attractive to Boaz. And I want to leave you with the, this, this question is that could it be in the middle of our suffering and of our sorrow that God just may be plotting for our satisfaction in the future? Could it be in the depths of, of our pain and our suffering that God is plotting for something good for us? in the future, even though we may not see it. Second point, God shows kindness through godly people of character. So Boaz was, was a man of godly character. Ruth was of godly character because she told Naomi in chapter one, your God is going to be my God. So Ruth's, Ruth's God is the God of Israel now. God, uh, Ruth is following after God and she's a woman of God. And this gleaning method is something that was implemented by God in order to provide to widows and orphans and immigrants and people who are poor and destitute, which contrasted Moab's culture, which was the opposite of Moab's culture because Moab didn't have this kind of social support system um, for people who were poor and for people who were uh, foreign. So Ruth's character um, showed hard work and showed kindness to Naomi because she was in need and Boaz's compassion protected and showed kindness to Ruth. So we see this, this duality here that that Boaz is showing kindness and Ruth is showing kindness and God is also showing kindness behind the scenes. And so the, the character of these people ultimately reveals to, the character, to us the character of God. And I want to I tell you tonight that if we want to do something with our lives, we should dedicate ourselves to developing, to developing godly character. Because we see once... We see these people who have godly character. God is using them so easily and behind the scenes through events that are so, that are so horrible. And they're so, they just seem so unfair and they, seem so, they just seem so helpless. And, and what, what, what went wrong? So if we want to, God to do something with our lives, we should dedicate ourselves to developing godly character. Third point, last point, God shows kindness through redeeming pain in hard times, which is uh, where we see the guardian redeemer here in verse 20 again, which is defined um, that it is the legal term for one who has an obligation for a relative to redeem a relative in serious difficulty. And it designates one who delivers or rescues. And Boaz happened to belong to the clan of Elimelech. And if you're like me, I was like, what's a clan? So a clan is, so you have a person who belongs to a family, who belongs to a clan, who belongs to a tribe. So the tribe is the big group, and then the clan takes care of a family, and the family takes care of a person. You see how that works? So Boaz was part of this clan that Elimelech was from, which is Naomi's dead husband. So this is, it, it seems like it's just a coincidence, but, but God knows what he's doing behind the scenes in all of this and overall all of this. So when we experience hard times, we can look to God's enduring kindness, like that word, that uh, kindness that God shows, um, the chesed word, which is Hebrew if you're a nerd, and it restores us, it picks us up when we fall, and it brings us back to God's love, love of the Father. And we also see that this is, it, that God ordains that God ordains tragedy in order to set the stage for triumph later on. God working behind the scenes. God working in suffering. God working in our sorrow. God working when things seem hard and hopeless and awful and nothing makes sense. And this God's kindness goes perfectly with the familiar, familial aspect of the definition of that Hebrew word. Reflecting on the relationship between husband and wife 
So like Jesus is the groom, the church is the bride, so husband and wife. Jesus is showing kindness to the, to the groom, the church, which is us, and Boaz to Naomi, which is, you remember, it's a representation of, of God and us as Christians. And it's also between father and children. So God is our father showing kindness and taking care of us as his children. So application points, if you're ready. Number one, we have three R words. Refuge, take refuge under God's care, which is verse 12. As we can see, um, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So take refuge under God's care. Number two, rely on God's promises that he gives us in scripture. These are so, people are like, oh, I just don't know what to read. I don't know, I don't know what to read in the Bible. I don't know where to open to. But what's this? You open Google and say, verses when I'm sad. Verses to read when I'm depressed. Verses to read when I have a broken heart. Like, it's really not that, e- it's really not that hard. You can Google stuff. You can also text Matt and you can also text other youth leaders. Hey, Matt, I'm sad. Hey, Matt, I'm depressed. Hey, youth leader, I'm, I'm going through something hard. You have any verses or something that I can read? You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to know where to open to. We, we, you have people and you also have a phone that you can look up any piece of information in the world that, that you can have, even about the Bible. So there's that. Rely on God's promises that he gives us in scripture. And then number three, remember God's promises to us even when we cannot see it. When we can't see things, it's so important and it's so easy to get down. And so it's so easy to get, to get so depressed and it's so easy to not see the bigger picture. But this, this, this point, remember God's kindness even when we cannot see it. So we don't know what God's doing. We don't know what he's thinking. We don't know how he's setting things up. But it's so important that we remember what he's doing behind the scenes. And we need to remember his kindness that he shows to us. So let's pray and let's get out of here. I'm four minutes over. So dear God, thank you for this night. And thank you for uh, allowing everyone to get out here even during the weather and the flooding. And I pray that we can all get home safe and that nothing else crazy will happen this week or even this year for that matter like it did, like it did last year. And I pray that... Uh, We would all go out of here refreshed. We would all go out of here thinking about these the rest of the week, how we can show kindness to others, to our friends, and to our families. And uh, I pray that you would just use us in whichever way you see fit so that the gospel can be uh, furthered um, in your name and that we can make disciples for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.